So about a month ago or so, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I don't know really what woke me up, and I remember being really tired, uh, but I woke up, something had startled me, and uh, I remember my eyes being really kind of sleepy, and I didn't know what time it was, so I started to rub my left eye, and with my right eye, I looked at the clock across the room to see what time it was. But as I had opened my right eye and peeked out to see the clock, all I could see was this red blur where the clock should have been. And my thought was, oh, my eye will focus, and then I'll be able to see what time it is. So I was rubbing my left eye, and the red blur didn't come into focus. And I thought, that's weird. I can't see anything. And opened my left eye, and then, boom, I saw it. It was like you know, 2.30 in the morning. Oh, I'm like, but that, that's strange. I, you know, maybe my eyes are just tired, and I can't see. So I closed my left eye again, looked out, red blur on the clock where the, the numbers were supposed to be. And thought, again, that is strange. It'll come into focus. Kept my left eye closed. The right eye never came into focus. And thought, I've never had that happen before. I just must be really tired. So I didn't think anything of it, fall asleep, wake up the next morning. And I was telling Marcy about it. And I was like, yeah, I, I feel like I, I couldn't see it on my right eye last night. And she said, well, can you now? And I so let me check. So I closed my left eye, and really about five feet out in front of my face was just blurry. And uh, it's doing it right now. I can't even see Robert in the back if I just close my left eye. And I had always kind of like prided myself on having like 20-20 vision, which is kind of ridiculous because I had nothing to do with it. But like I've always like really like I had 20-20 vision. And my right eye, like all of a sudden, I can't see very well out of it. And so I'm kind of like, Marcy's like, you need to make an eye appointment. And so I know like my parents both have glasses. They got glasses right around their mid-30s. So I called my dad and was like, yeah, you know when your eyes started to go, how old were you? And he's like, you know, I was around 35. And I'm like, I'm 35. And he goes, but it's really just my right eye. I just can't really see it on my right eye. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, that is exactly what's happening to me. And he's uh, like, yeah, so I, I just wear one contact. And like, I never knew that about my dad. He just wears one contact. And so I was talking to Marcy about it. She's like, you got to go make an eye appointment. And I'm one of those kind of guys that, like, I don't like to go to the doctor at all. And the thought of an eye doctor absolutely terrifies me. And I know, like, there's something with my vision that needs to be corrected, but there's something much worse about my eyes that terrify me about going to the doctor. And if you've ever spoken to me up close and you see my eyes, you know that I always have red eyes. And I don't always have pink eye. I'm not on something. I, <laughs> I have this thing called surfer's eye. It's real, it's, and it's not as cool as it sounds. Um, I have these things in my eye. I don't even know how to pronounce the medical term, but they're in both sides of my eye. And, and basically what it is, it's, it's almost like a bruising of your eyeball that's caused by the sun and the wind, hence surf, surfer's eye. And I've had them maybe playing baseball growing up as a kid. A lot of people in Phoenix get them. Maybe you're a surfer's eye brother or sister like, <laughs> like me. Um, but I remember, kind of going to the eye doctor when I was getting out of high school to get them checked out, and the doctor told me, so these are kind of like, basically like a bruise on your eye, and it continues to grow, so you need to wear sunglasses when you go outside. And they won't go away. And if they continue to grow as they do, they're eventually gonna cut off your vision. So at some point, we're gonna have to operate on them, which I like pretty much passed out when he told me that. <laughs> And it, he said, it, we, you know, we'll just keep an eye on them, and at some point we'll operate on them. 
and he was telling me about like the procedure that you go through to get rid of surfer's eye. They, they go in and they have to actually like slice out part of your eyeball, and then they go to the back of your eye and slice out some of that and replace it in the front. Doesn't that sound terrible? <laughs> and so I'm, I have this dilemma where I need to go back to the eye doctor to get my right eye checked out, but if I go back, they're gonna wanna operate on my surfer's eye, and we can't have that. I mean, that, we can't, can't do that. So I, but what's interesting is I've really been thinking about like my eyesight over the last month. Like I've never really like, you don't really notice something, you take, take it for granted until you are missing it, right? And this last month I've, I've really kind of honed in on, I can't see out of my right eye very well and I've got this like looming like surgery approaching. Um, and it's just kind of changed the way I appreciate this sense of being able to see. Um, and and it, I, I tell that story because as we're going through the Gospel of John, we come across this story that I've read completely different this time, considering my own eyesight and future of my eyes. And the story takes place in John chapter 9. And it's the story about Jesus having this encounter with a man who is blind. And Jesus opens his eyes so that the man can see. And we've been going through the Gospel of John uh, for Lent season. We looked at John chapter 1, uh, this, this poem that, that describes who Jesus is. And we talked about the purpose of the author. His purpose in writing this Gospel was that so that people may know who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by knowing they may have life in his name. So after he opens up with this poem in John chapter 1, he starts telling the story. There's a story of the wedding at Cana where Jesus turns water into wine. Then there's this encounter with Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Last week we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And all these stories are, are John revealing more and more about who this Jesus is. And then after John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, we're skipping ahead to John chapter 9. And what happens in the in-between chapters is there's these disputes about who Jesus is. There's dispute about his testimony. There's this dispute about his identity, his purpose. And it goes back and forth with Jesus and these Pharisees, these religious leaders on who Jesus is. And then we land in this story in John chapter 9. And it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And I want to read it today, and it's kind of long. But I feel like I could pretty much just read this Story and it's so colorful and there's so much going on that I almost don't even need to preach a sermon of it. I could just read it. And so as we read it, I, I just want you to think of the details of what's happening here, what's unfolding, what's being revealed about who Jesus is and how he interacts with people. But let's start in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Jesus' disciples are traveling and it says, As they went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So he runs into this man, and he's been blind his entire life. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So in this time, they assumed if there was something like this that you were blind, something must have happened to like anger God or something that you would have this condition. And Jesus responds, and he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, but while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, and he made some mud with the saliva 
and he put the mud on the man's eyes, which is like a pretty gross way of like how Jesus is working this miracle. I can't imagine what that would look like. The blind man never saw it coming, so he didn't care. Uh, <laughs> so after he put, puts the mud on the guy's eyes, Jesus says, go, and he wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means scent. So go wash in the, in the pool of scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Amen. Yeah, pretty fascinating story. I mean, the, the details of this. Jesus comes into this encounter with this blind man, and there's this discussion of why the man's blind. I won't get into like what that is today, but, but what's interesting is Jesus sees the man. It says that he sees the man who can't see, and he opens his eyes so that he can see. The story goes on. His neighbors, the blind man's neighbors, and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg. And some claimed that he was. And others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself said, yeah, I am the man. Well, how then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed. And now I can see. So what? Right? It's like... He just like says, well, this is what he happened. He made some mud, and then I went and did it. Now I can see. No big deal. And they asked him, well, where is this man, this Jesus? And he said, I don't know. I don't know where he went. And like you read that, and it, like the, the details that unfold of this conversation, I, I just think are, are so fascinating. This interaction, this man who has been given sight. And he's not even sure like what just happened. And, and we don't even know if he was even asking for it. He just comes into this encounter with Jesus one day out of nowhere. And Jesus opens up his eyes and he can see. And he's trying to process what, I mean, his whole reality just changed. He's been transformed. Everything he's known about life now is different. I can't imagine, like we think of like, that, like me, I'm, I might be going blind. I know what I'll be missing, right? But this man's never seen anything. And all of a sudden, everything's visible. There's color. There's people that he's heard them talk, and he can see their faith. I can't imagine the transformation this guy experiences. Unbelievable transformation. And he's trying to process it. This man named Jesus came, and he opened my eyes, and now I can see. Jesus gives sight to the blind. Jesus gives sight to the blind. John's telling us that this this Jesus that he's describing, this Jesus who's the Son of God, this is another miracle. He's revealing that Jesus looks at those who have these physical needs, and he meets them. There's something here that reveals the heart of, of Jesus' compassion for humanity. He encounters this man who is limited by his eyesight, and he opens his eyes. And we could stop there and say, this is an amazing story. This is an amazing story of, of who Jesus is and what he's up to in this world. And we've talked about how the author, John, is this master storyteller. And so he's telling the story, but there's all these layers to it. And what's so interesting is that there's all sorts of miracles in the Gospels about Jesus. But in the Gospel of John, he only talks about seven different miracles that take place. Of the many miracles, he places this miracle in his Gospel. 
There's something significant about it. And as audiences, they, they hear this story, especially the early readers, it would be revealing something, a light bulb would go on. For his Jewish audience, this, this miracle is significant because the work of opening the eyes of a blind person is something that they're anticipating from the Messiah. From, from the, the one who was to come into the world to restore all things. The, the prophets in the Old Testament were saying, he will give sight to the blind. There's a fascinating passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 29, verse 18. If you want to flip over to that real quick. It says, in that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. And then chapter 35 of Isaiah, verse 5 says, then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then in Isaiah 42, verse 7, Really starting at verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So there's this kind of messianic work of, of opening the eyes of the blind. And as John's telling the story, he just puts this, miracle in there to reveal something about Jesus. This is the one that you've anticipated. The one who is to come. But there's something else about this detail for the Gentile readers of this story. Right around the first century, there was this emperor named Vespasian. Tough dude. Rough guy. Emperor of the most powerful empire the world had ever seen. And like many of the emperors of Rome, they were thought that they were divine. They were kind of this image of God here on earth, and there was empire, emperor worship throughout the empire. And there's this story of Vespasian that takes place in the first century where he goes to Alexandria in Egypt. And because he was considered this divine emperor, he had miraculous powers. And there's this encounter that he has with this person in Alexandria, Egypt, where a man has an eye disease. And the legend has it that he uses his own saliva to heal this man. And the news of this healing spread, and everyone knew that this emperor Vespasian was, was this divine figure chosen to lead. And when John's telling the story, for those in the Jewish audience, they would, they would, a light would go on. But for those in the Gentile audiences, they heard this story of, of Jesus healing a man's eyes with his saliva. They would have thought, well, that's what Vespasian did. But not only was this man healed of his disease, this man was blind. This miracle is even more significant. And John's saying, this Jesus, the Son of God, is divine. And what you think about this great and powerful ruler, Vespasian, Jesus is even better. John's this master storyteller who's being able to connect with both audiences saying, I am writing to you to let you know that this Jesus is the image of the invisible God and you want to know what God is like, look at his life. The Son of God divine. So there's a significant detail in this storytelling that this compassionate Jesus is this great physician who meets our physical needs. 
But then there's something even deeper going on here that John starts to reveal. Not only is Jesus opening his eyes physically, but there's a spiritual awakening that takes place as well. We can continue to read through the story. When this miracle happened, it obviously was, was huge news. And everyone kind of had heard about what had happened. And, uh, and it was kind of, you know, one of those things where no one really kind of understood, like, what happens? Jesus heals this man. We don't know all the details. But the Pharisees hear about it. And the Pharisees are these religious rulers who often have a bad reputation uh, in the Gospels. But really, they're, they're not bad people. Um, but they're very concerned about Jesus because of what he's teaching, because of what he's doing. They're very concerned. And when they hear that Jesus has done this miracle, they want to find out more details. And here's how the story continues. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the, eyes, the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man implied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not for God, from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man and said, What do you have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the blind man, who had now has sight, says, I think he's a prophet. I think he's a prophet. There's something significant going on here. There's this dispute between the Pharisees. And first of all, they're upset because he made mud on the Sabbath, which is a form of working. So there's some of them that know, like, oh, that, oh he's breaking the law. He's breaking Torah. So we have, there's an issue going on here. And others are like, well, he just performed a miracle. So, like, he gave sight to the, it's not a big, like, he, he's helping this person. And you find out that some of them are upset about it. And some of them are, man, something great must be going on here. And they ask the man, and what's interesting is when this blind man's friends ask him, who gave you sight? He says, this man they call Jesus. This is a little bit bit later, and he says, uh, they ask, who gave you sight? And he says, Jesus, he's a prophet. There's something more going on here. It's almost like he's been processing what just happened to him with this transformation. Verse 18 goes on to say, the Pharisees, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So they're still skeptical. They're still trying to figure out like what happens here. So they call for the blind man's parents and they say, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? So they bring their parents in, like for credibility. And the parents' response is this, we know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. We just know that something changed in him. We don't know how. We don't know who. We just know that something changed. And then they say, ask him. Ask him his testimony. He is of age, and he will speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that is why the parents said, he is of age, ask him. And then what we find from this detail is that there are those within this group of Pharisees who are actually now hostile towards Jesus. They're deeply concerned about what Jesus is doing. And they're saying anyone that gets caught up in this following of this Jesus is basically getting kind of like excommunicated out of the synagogue. And it's so 
Like, it's such a threat that these parents of this man who was just given sight are scared of him. So we know there's something different going on here that, that these, these religious rulers are, are, are using their position in a way that is striking fear into the community. We know that there's something not right about that. To the point where the parents say, this is our son, he's old enough, ask him. I can't imagine what the parents are going through in this story. I mean, to have a son that was born blind means there's this extra responsibility that's been given to, to them to raise this child. And as he grows up, they, they, feel, they hear the rumors of what happened, what did you guys do that he would deserve blindness. And they're processing that. And they're processing caring for him and, and, and watching him become an adult, but become an adult who has to, to beg for life. And then this man is healed. Their son is restored. I can't imagine what's going on in the parent's mind as all this takes place. But I know that they're so fearful of the Pharisees that at this point they say, our son's old enough, responsible enough, talk to him about what's going on. Talk to him. Then the story continues. A second time the Pharisees summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, talking about Jesus, I don't know. The one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Because I don't know what discussion you're having about this guy, why you're mad at him. I'm not getting into any of that, but all I know is that I had an encounter with him, and I'm different. I couldn't see, and now I can. There was this authentic experience that was tangible about how his life had changed. And he knew it. And the religious leaders couldn't see what was happening. They're confused by the whole thing. And in fact, they're angry about how the whole thing went down. And the man says, I don't know. I don't know what you're discussing. I don't know why it's a big deal. All I know is that my life has been changed. We read that story and we think about people that we come into contact with who have this encounter where Jesus changes them. Sometimes we, we wish there was this easy formula. We wish there was this you know, perfect template of it works this way every single time. But as this story shows, and as we've probably experienced in life, God constantly works outside of the box. We think that we have them predictable formulas, and all of a sudden he does something that surprises us out of nowhere. He takes a hopeless situation and restores it. Takes a person who can't see anything and gives him new vision. We've seen this story, uh, God working outside of the box in ways that we can't necessarily understand. And the older you get, you might experience this in life too. I can't explain how God worked, but I know that he worked in that life, in that situation, and he transformed it. And I think there's something interesting, too, that as us as a church, especially as we've been in the church for a long time and we're very religious people, I wonder how we respond to such transformations. Are we like the Pharisees where we're, no, no, God doesn't work like that. That's not how, the, or are we open? The man says, I don't know who he is, 
I don't know what happened, but all I know is I was blind. And now I can see. I had this encounter with Jesus, and it transformed me. It transformed me. The story goes on. Verse 26. Then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. And then I love this line. This might be one of my favorite lines in all scripture. He's, he says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to, do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> like, I can't imagine how the Pharisees would have received that. Like, no. Like, <laughs> like we're trying to trap the man. Like, but he's saying, like, I know what he did to me is so mysterious and so wonderful. And it was so full of awe that, like, yeah, you, you want to know more, right? Like, he, I, I love the innocence of this man who is blind. He says, do you want to become his disciples too? And at this, it says, they hurled insults at him. And he says, you're this fellow's disciples, and we are disciples of Moses. And we know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered back. And at this point, the man's like, you could tell he's getting more bold and courageous as he's drawing from his experience. And he says, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. You know that God does not listen to sinners, but he listens to a godly person who does his will. And nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Pretty good point. I feel like this is kind of like uh, winning the argument is what you could say, right? This is dropping the mic. Like, <laughs> unbelievable point. And at this, they just simply respond... You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Reminds me of the movie Hook. I don't know if you watched that when you were younger. When they get into this arguing, shouting contest, and it's like Rufio and Robin Williams, Peter Pan. And you realize like Robin Williams is a lawyer, and you can't argue with him. And he finally gets to a point where he's like argued with Rufio, and he's like going back and forth and ripping on him. And finally, Rufio's like, "You man, you stupid, stupid man!" Like he like doesn't know what else to say to argue back, so he just starts like attacking him, like personally calling him stupid. I, I feel like this is what's taking place here: is they're arguing with this blind man. They get to this point where they're like, "Well, you're you're just a sinner. You're just, you're just," and they can't even explain why, and they're just attacking him, and they throw him out. They throw him out. This man who's been transformed gets thrown out by the religious establishment. And then we see something else about the life of Jesus as the story continues. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when they found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe. And Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus gets wind of the story. Jesus finds out how this guy's treated. And he pursues him. He goes after him. And when he finds him, he welcomes him in. And at that point, the man realizes that this is the Lord. And what's so interesting here is you see kind of the progression of this man as his eyes are opened physically, but something is opened spiritually inside of him. When his friends first start to ask this question, who helped you? He says, there's this man called Jesus. That's his first understanding. Is it's just this man called Jesus. And then when the Pharisees come, he's like, 
There's this progression of his understanding. He's a prophet. He's more than a man. There's something else going on here because what he has done for me is miraculous. And at the end of the story, he's confessing that this is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is divine. And we see kind of this this step of transformation that happens in him spiritually as well. What I think is so significant about that is Jesus meets his physical needs, but then he meets them in this way spiritually that he gives him sight to see the things of God. This relationship with God is opened up and all of a sudden he's in communion with God. And as he's kind of like working that out, the biggest obstacle are are the Pharisees. The ones most confused. The ones that don't get what's happening here. And Jesus starts to talk about their own blindness to the ways of God. And I don't think that all the Pharisees are like this. It's like Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And he comes back into the story. But there's these certain religious leaders that can't see. And we find that there's, there's blindness that we suffer from, but there might be something more dangerous than that, and it's when we have eyes, but we still can't see. And Jesus talks about that. There, there's this blindness that is happening where these that should know better, something happens right in front of them, and they're unaware of God's work. They're unaware of it. William Barclay a uh, commentator writes on this passage about this idea of Jesus opening our eyes. And what we find is that we kind of fit into one or two categories. And if you're like me, grew up in the church, very religious, I find more often than not that I tend to be in the camp with the Pharisees. I fail to see where God is at work because I have all of the knowledge of how he's supposed to work. William Barclay says this, whenever a man is confronted with Jesus, that man at once passes a judgment on himself. If he sees Jesus, if he sees in Jesus nothing to desire, nothing to admire, nothing to love, then he has condemned himself. If he sees in Jesus something to wonder at, something to respond to, something to reach out to, then he is on his way to God. The man who is conscious of his own blindness and who longs to see better And to know more is the man whose eyes can be opened and who can be led more and more deeply into truth. But the man who thinks he knows it all, the man who does not realize he cannot see, is the man who is truly blind and beyond hope and help. Only the man who realizes his own weakness can become strong. Only the man who realizes his own blindness can learn to see. And only the man who realizes his own sin can be forgiven. And what we find here is when we encounter Jesus, there is this humility, being humble, realizing that all of us are in need of sight. And the danger is when we think that we have it all figured out, it all together, and because of that, we stop seeing God. And we stop seeing how God is at work. And there's this posture of, I'm open to what God is doing in situations that seem hopeless. A miracle can work. And and people who are living in darkness, a light can turn on. And people who are blind can be made to see again. Am I open to that? 
Am I open to that? Some of you have heard me tell the story of the island of the colorblind. It's this wonderful story. There was this island in the South Pacific that back in the late 1700s was devastated by uh, a typhoon. Big storm comes through, and it wipes out 90% of the inhabitants. It's a small island, so only about 20 survivors try to pick up the pieces of their life after this storm wipes everyone out. And they start fishing, and they start surviving, and they start living life again. They start reproducing, and their community starts to grow. And Oliver Sacks comes across them in his travels. And he tells the story of the island of the colorblind. And he talks about this group that started to repair their life after this storm. And something interesting happened with this group of people on this island, these natives, is that as they survived and started to live, there was a genetic peculiarity that took place. The survivors were colorblind. Some of them were colorblind. And they weren't just like colorblinds, like have a hard time distinguishing between colors. They had something called congenital achromatopsia. That's why I didn't pronounce that. It's like surfer's eye, but worse. <laughs> and it's the kind of colorblind where they can't decipher color. They're seeing the world in black and white. And their eyes are super sensitive to sunlight. And as this is a genetic disorder, as they started to reproduce these 20 people, everyone that came behind them, a huge percentage of them had the same thing, this colorblindness. Oliver Sacks talks about this island in the South Pacific. As when the explorers first got there and met this group of people, they realized that a lot of them are colorblind. They said, this has got to be one of the cruelest ironies on Earth because this island is paradise. This is the most beautiful, tropical scenery in the world. And they described the, the color of green and of the trees and the different colorful fruits that were on this island. The sunsets, the ocean, everything. They said, this is a, it's a paradise. And this group of people who've survived the storm and have reproduced, and they live in paradise and they can't see it. What a cruel irony. And he starts to talk about the story of, of uh, how... how, how and, and, and now that these people are still on this island, you can Google it and see how doctors are trying to work with them with their eyesight. But to live in paradise and not be able to see it. If we could describe what God is up to in this world, I think the best description is there's a storm that has come. There's a storm that has like knocked out the colors. The world has been broken. And yet God is still at work in this world. But those who survived the storm as humanity has, has gone forward and reproduced, we live life colorblind, unable to see the awe and wonder of God around us. And we travel through life this way. And at some point Jesus comes and we have this encounter with him where all of a sudden we're given new sight. We're given new vision. We're given eyes to see the paradise that God is at work in this world. And the world is full of color and wonder and beautiful sunsets. Jesus gives sight to the blind. 
So two things today as we close. Maybe you, you've been living life in this darkness. You've been living life only seeing black and white. And we want to invite you today to, to have this encounter with Jesus where he opens your eyes to the wonder of the world around you. Maybe your situation, you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel like I am this way because of some great sin in my past or something that's been done to me. And Jesus can change that situation. And the invitation is to, to just ask God to give you that sight. Or maybe you're in this other camp of the Pharisees. And you can no longer see the work of God around you. You forget that God is at work in this world in all sorts of different ways. But you see the world in black and white. And you're ready to see the world in color. And maybe at one point you could see color, but it's gone back to black and white. Today we want to invite you as well to say, Lord, would you open my eyes to see again? Jesus gives sight to those who are blind. So Tim's going to come back up and close us with a time of prayer and communion. And I want to invite you to just reflect on your eyesight today. Allow Jesus to just meet you unexpectedly in this place to reach out and to touch you to touch your eyes and to open them and whether camp that you're in whether you're hopeless in darkness or whether you fail to see because of all the other stuff that comes with it allow Jesus to give you vision today take some time to reflect and then when you're ready, move to communion. We take communion as a sacred act and a reminder of the story that we're a part of. The story of the incarnation, that God became man, walked on this earth as Jesus. Brought sight and color to our lives. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ. It's a story of God being broken open so that we could be put back together. And we take bread in remembrance of that. And we take a cup of juice, and it represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. And we believe that this blood cleanses, this juice cleanses all of the ways that we've lost our sight. Jesus tells us, and the writers of the New Testament tell us to do this, to remember what Jesus has done, and to proclaim it. So as we reflect on our own sight, when you're ready, move towards the communion table today. If you'd like prayer, if you feel like you're in a situation that's hopeless, and you would like just someone to pray with you, I'll be standing over here on the side. I'd love to pray with you. On your own, you can move to communion, and then Tim will close us at the end. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this story. What a fascinating story, Lord. What a a colorful story of a real human who experienced loss and longing and pain, brokenness, judgment, and has this unexpected encounter with you. We thank you for stories like this, Lord. And we know that this isn't just a story that took place once. This wasn't just a miracle that take place, took place once, but you do this in our lives today, too. So we come before you and ask, Lord, we want to see again. For those who 
have not been able to see, Lord, we, we pray that you would meet them today, that you would open their eyes, that they would see the wonder of relationship with you. You would give new sight, new vision. For those, uh, maybe like myself, who have eyes to see and miss things right in front of me every single day, Lord. Pray that you would open our eyes as well. Give us vision to see your work around us. We love you so much. Your sons and we pray. Amen.